Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of Scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobeck, and here in a moment you'll hear from Dr. Brian Chapel. In this episode, we will be discussing a sermon on Revelation 5, and this sermon was part of a greater sermon series, which is From Grace to Glory Through the Bible in a Year. One of the key features of this passage is really highlighting just a great celebration and worship of the Lamb, and really it's a reminder of the unity that comes in heaven when things are perfect. Right now in today's society, there's a lot of discussion about um, discrimination, racism, things that are dividing us, and really a desire to come together. So as part of that, uh, Pastor Brian invited Carl Cannon to speak at the end of the sermon. Now, Carl Cannon is an African-American man who is a former corrections officer and educator who leads the Peoria Park Department Elite Youth Outreach Program. This program is designed to give education and occupation advantages to disadvantaged young people. It's just an amazing program that he has founded and has been working so hard to help the youth in the Peoria, Illinois community and just has a heart for the Lord as well. So being able to hear his perspective as he came in was was really wonderful. Now, Brian only briefly mentions Carl in this episode, uh, but if you're interested in hearing what he had to say, you can visit brianchapel.com and in the sermon section, look for the sermon on Revelation 5. In addition, if you are interested in seeing us record this podcast, you can find that by going to brianchapel.com, but also you can visit the YouTube page for Brian and you can find that there. I hope you enjoy this episode as we discuss the preview that God gives us in his word of what heaven will be like as we discuss Revelation 5. Well, Brian, welcome to another podcast, and I'm excited to be able to join you today. So so thanks for being here. My pleasure, (laughs) as always. I still want to start with a revealing question. And I think that this is it's a pretty important uh, question to ask. And that is, if given the choice between soup or sandwich, which would you choose? Sandwich. <laughs> okay. Why, why, why sandwich? Uh, I grew up with sandwiches for lunch. So I, just, I enjoy them. So particularly if I can doctor them up. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, hard-hitting questions. I can't tell you how many sandwiches I had growing up. So I would actually probably go soup because I had so many sandwiches. But either way, I mean, you can't go wrong. So, all right, uh, moving on, moving right along. Um, So last week uh, was the continuation, as is this week, the continuation of a sermon series, and that is uh, Through the Bible in a Year. So we are finally approaching the end of the Bible. We, we've made our way into Revelation. We had uh, the previous week talked about a uh, passage in Hebrews and, um, you know, we talked about what, what um, gives us unity and security in times of trouble. And, and that is knowing that there is an unshakable kingdom to come. And then this week, we actually talk about that uh, within the book of, of Revelation. So I know that um, the Revelation is a book that 
people might spend a ton of time in or they may shy away from. Um, what do you think is maybe a good approach uh, to, to looking at the book of Revelation? Yeah. I, I think, honestly, people who um, spend too much time in Revelation, that sounds impossible, you know, I'll say imbalanced time because sure. being in God's That's word, I better. don't want to spend yeah. too much time there. But being out of balance, that you just are totally uh, immersed in the minutia of the end times. And typically people who kind of end up almost becoming, uh, what should I say, addicts of some end times scheme are people who are trying to identify the day and the hour of Christ's return. And in doing so, ignore the words of Christ, which is no man knows the day or the hour. Now, there are general contours of the course of history that we're supposed to know. And the book of Revelation is detailing those, um, that, that there is a time of gospel prospering, but there's also a time of gospel crushing prior to Christ's rescue, uh, prior to his then ultimately crushing the head of Satan and welcoming in the eternal kingdom. So you do need to know that or else you lose hope when there's times of persecution or difficulty or trial. You need to know this isn't the final chapter. No matter how hard our current news is, it's not the final chapter. So it's important to know what's in the book of Revelation. And that kind of goes to the other extreme, the people who would just say, oh, you know, that's kind of mysterious and difficult and strange, and I just don't want to go there. You know, I want to stick with the parables of Jesus that I can make a little sense of. And then we say, well, you know, if the Holy Spirit didn't think you needed was the book of Revelation, he would not have included it in the Bible. So it is important to know uh, the end of things so that you steer your course correctly and don't lose hope when it gets a little difficult or even very difficult. And for that reason, the book of Revelation is important to know as well. And you know where we're going, Chris, is we would say this whole Bible has been the unfolding of the grace of God that culminates in the work of Christ, but the culmination of his kingdom is yet to come. So if you're really going to know where the story is going, in fact, what the whole story is about, you would have to say the story of the Bible reaches its culmination in the book of Revelation. Well, so this week, the passage that you focused on was Revelation 5, uh, more specifically verses 6 through 14 of Re Revelation 5. And as throughout all the book, there's a lot of amazing imagery and symbolism. Um, and you really broke things down into maybe three main things. Uh, certainly talked in more detail, but you talked about a lamb, a song, and a throng. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> I could I could preach on this for about 35 minutes, Chris. That's what I went through. And I still didn't get it done, by the way. You know, I kind of sat down and oh, no, I forgot to mention that, or I didn't have time for that. And so, well, looky there. We have some time here. So <laughs> We do. So, it's, so the lamb, you know, the lamb is seated on the throne. And the job of the lamb is to open the scroll that's revealing the plan of God for the end time. And uh, the one who's supposed to open the scroll, though we're told, is the Lion of Judah, the one who's worthy to open the scroll. And the Lion of Judah is the, uh, his, uh, the, the biblical image of the one who comes from the line of Judah, that son of Jacob, 
who would have an eternal reign, who would have a rule, a kingdom. And so uh, we're actually asked the question, you know, at the beginning of Revelation 5, who's worthy to open the scroll, to unfold the plan of God? And uh, the answer, of course, is it's the Lion of Judah. And then we're told, there he is. Look who that, there he is. It's the lamb. And you, no, no, we're looking for a lion. <laughs> no, it's a lamb who is uh, fulfilling the purposes of God. And you say, what is all that about? Well, it's, it's taking us back through the Bible in a year that we've gone through, all the way back to the book of Genesis, where in Genesis 49, uh, Jacob promised to his son Judah that the rule, the scepter, would never depart from the tribe or the line of Judah. What does that mean? That, that the rule, the kingdom of God, is going to come through the line of Judah. You say, why is that? Well, because Judah was the one who was willing to offer himself to save the life of Benjamin, the youngest and the weakest of the sons of Jacob. Uh, so Benjamin would have been the youngest brother and the weakest brother. And Jacob, the oldest and strongest, gave himself for the weakest. And it's just, it's just a wonderful Bible analogy that as Jesus is our elder brother who gives himself to save us, that the Lion of Judah, that reign, that rule of the tribe of Judah comes through sacrifice for another. And uh, that becomes the lamb. The lion has become the lamb. The one who had absolute authority and power is willing to offer himself for the weak. So the image morphs, but to make the message that the one who is eternally strong is willing to make himself weak to save those who could not save themselves. And that's just the message of grace again, right? It's God providing for those who cannot provide for themselves. So it's interesting that here we have all the Bible's images coming together. From the very beginning, uh, we understand that there's going to be uh, a tribe of Judah that will have a ruler come from it. But we also understand that there's going to be God providing for his people. He would provide a sacrifice, the message to Abraham, also in the book of Genesis. And here we are at the end of the Bible in Revelation, and those images are being reached for and called back to mind. Judah's still going to rule. How is he going to rule? He's going to sacrifice. Who's he going to sacrifice for? He's going to sacrifice for the weak, as God will provide the sacrifice. So the lion becomes the lamb to, in essence, tell the whole story of the Bible in just half of one little chapter. Yeah, you mentioned how you know, we talk about the lion and you're expecting to see that. And then there's the lamb and like, wait, this is not what we expected. This is not what we thought. I mean, that's even reminiscent of in the gospels when, you know, you have, you have people expecting to see this warrior to come in and take over and save his people. And then it's like, he's riding in on a donkey, you know? So I think that we see that imagery time and time again throughout the word, um, which I think is important for us to always take to keep in mind. So we talked about the lamb. Um, let's talk a little bit about the song. Well, the song is interesting because the song is sung by figures. Again, this is, this is um, revelation. It's uh, language that is imagistic. So we have strong images to communicate truth. So you have 24 elders and you say, 
who are they? And you say Bible scholars are divided over that, but clearly it's a representation of the earthly church, the leaders of the earthly church. So the elders sing with the angels, with the four creatures that are representing the host of heaven. So if you will, heaven and earth come together to sing the praises of the lion who has become the lamb. And that's a neat thought in itself, that heaven and earth join. But then we're also told that with the harps that the elders are playing, um, and I teased a little bit, you know, our elders are going to have to learn harp lessons. Um, but um, at the same time, um, there, there are, there's incense being offered in this heavenly worship service that's being described. Mm. And uh, we're told that's representation of the prayers of the saints. So if you move out of the book of Genesis into uh, the time of the Exodus and the building of the temple that went uh, up until the time of Solomon, so Moses to Solomon, the temple has incense in it. And we're told here, what does that incense represent? Even when it's shown in this heavenly image, it's the prayers of the saints. And so heaven is unfolding. God is showing his purpose by a, a combination worship of both heavenly host and earthly uh, leaders. And what they're using to praise God is the prayers of the saints. And I feel like I've probably lost this in complication already, but it's just this wonderful message that heaven is using the prayers of the saints to bring about God's purpose. We think what we do is small and insignificant as anybody listening to our prayers. And here's yet another place that God is saying the prayers of the saints are actually coordinating the purposes of heaven for God's unfolding plan. Saints pray yeah. and God's plan unfolds for the whole world. And that, you know, that was something that I had noted that I wanted to, to get into a little bit more. Um, when we talk about prayer, clearly prayer is so important. Um, but what are the different things that, that that happen as a result of prayer? You know, should, should we expect various supernatural events to happen? Should we expect um, God to answer all our prayers? What is kind of a good approach to think about prayer and maybe some of what this passage reveals to us? Well, prayer is not rubbing a genie lamp, right? So we, you know, we yeah. say the right words and abracadabra, what we want to happen happens. And sometimes people are frustrated because they read those verses in the Bible, John 14, 15, John 15, 16, places that seem to say, well, if you pray in Jesus name, whatever you ask, Jesus will do it. Yeah. But people typically rip those verses out of the context where Jesus is saying, whatever you ask in my name, that my father may be glorified. Um, it's, it's what is going to bring about the fame of Christ. What is going to bring about the father's good purposes? Whatever you're asking for the name of Jesus, that is for his sake, to promote his purposes, God says he will be doing it. That's not just saying, I, you know, I, I need more money in my bank account or, you know, I need a faster car, uh, I need, you know, it, that's, that's not what is for the fame of Christ, as it were. That's just selfish prayer. But what Jesus is saying and reminding us that, that when we pray, 
God is using those prayers to bring about his own purposes more than that, his own glory. So, I mean, my favorite passage on this is actually Romans, Romans chapter eight, verses 26 through 28, where the apostle actually says, we don't know how to pray. And I'm glad an apostle said that because I'm thinking, well, he's like me in some ways. We don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us first with with groanings too deep to, for us to utter, that is deep fervency. And then God, who knows the mind of the Spirit, intercedes in accord with God's will, which, which is saying not only is the Spirit interceding for us with greater fervency than we could utter, but with greater precision than we could bring about to accomplish God's will. Because that goes right into, well, what happens when we pray even when we don't know how to pray and the spirit takes over with greater fervency and precision than we could offer well you get romans 8 28 therefore all things work together for good to them that love god and are called according to his purpose and so when we pray what god is doing is he's not just giving us new bicycles and a new pony and a bigger bank account it's actually better than that what the bible is promising is he's working all things together for good. And that's the connection to Revelation. As though heaven is bending the cosmos, changing all circumstances, changing everything that we're dealing with to bring about the purposes of God, that in the prayers of the saints, earth and heaven are combining to accomplish the will of God on earth. So that when we pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that Prayer is actually the representation of the prayers in to heaven, changing the things on earth in accord with the will of God, so that all things are working together for good. I, I know it's a huge concept, but it's a beautiful concept that God is, is doing what is exactly right for my life and for the world and for eternity in accord with the prayers of the saints. They are the fuel, as it were of the purposes of God on earth. We, we don't always know where this car is going, but we're filling it up with the fuel of prayer, knowing that that's what God is using to accomplish his good purposes. To kind of go back to, you know, lamb, song, and then throng, um, which admittedly, when I was younger, very much confused me what in the world throng what what that was <laughs> a lot of um, people yeah yeah okay that's fair but um so let, let's talk about a little bit of the imagery there and what is what is being shown uh, in this passage about the the throng if you will well let me let me finish the song so the song was first we know who's singing all right so the singers are representations of the heavenly and earthly beings together right yeah but then we have the lyrics of the song, right? So they're okay. praising God, yeah. right? And in those lyrics, we are learning that they are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power. And, and who sings that? It's sung by those from every tribe, language, people, nation. And so you're, you're given this picture of heaven and the singers are singing Worthy is the lamb, a lion who's become the lamb in sacrifice, because with his blood, he purchased men for God 
from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And so you're saying, what, what, what are they saying? That the lamb and his sacrifice was redeeming, purchasing, ransom, taking from slavery, paying the purchase price by blood for people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So, so two things. One, we are not made worthy by the shedding of our blood, by our energy, by our exertion, by our sweat and tears. No, what makes us redeemed, purchased, made right, worthy of heaven is the worthiness of the lamb, not the worthiness of me. That, that's the message of grace. I'm made right with God by what he's done, not by what I do. And, and then you say, well, how wide is that mercy? You know, to whom does this apply? And I'm made to identify the fact that I will have brothers and sisters in heaven who may look very much different uh, from me, who may come from very different places than I, who have different cultural backgrounds than I, from every tribe, language, people, nation. That this, this is an expansive kingdom of people that has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And it says to me, first, I'm not having to make things right with God myself. He makes me worthy. And I will not be with Christ by myself. That part of his glory is claiming people of, of every race, every ethnicity, every language, every nation. And that means if he is so loving them, so must I. And of course, it was a hard time in our nation to be reminding people that that is the message of revelation. We're not just giving a, a future picture so that we'll go, oh, isn't that interesting? We're giving, given that future picture so that we know our obligations of how we live and love on earth now. Uh, as you mentioned, this, this week has been, the last several weeks have, have really been an interesting and difficult time. Um, for a lot of reasons, but certainly for uh, race relations, and and we discussed that in the last podcast as well. Um, I think one one question that that I've kind of been thinking, and I know this maybe gets us slightly off track, um, are there things that we should be asking ourselves as we are interacting with with those that have faced so much hardship and and are really um, at the forefront right now is in, in a lot of our national discussion. Well, asking ourselves, I think surely a question has been, have I been silent about injustice or blind to it because it did not bother me and no. uh, my life could continue kind of uninterrupted um, by uh, the disadvantages that others are experiencing and have for centuries. And for that reason, the book of Revelation is, is forcing me to ask if, if people from every tribe, language, people, nation are my eternal brothers and sisters, have I in fact watched out for them as I would for my own family uh, in how I deal with matters of government, economy, care, compassion? Have I watched out for them as I would a brother and sister? And uh, not only have I done that, but should I not be doing that for the sake of the one who has saved them and made them my brothers and sisters, who is also brother to those brothers and sisters? If I love Jesus, why would I not love 
those that he loves and has given himself for? And what are my obligations to them as a consequence? So those are questions that we must ask. And one of the things that, that I have celebrated seeing happening, I mean, as awful as has been the cause of the protest in our nation right now, um, I, I listened to some civil rights leaders from the past on the radio this morning, and they were saying even in the civil rights movement, there were not so many people of different colors advocating for the sake of African-Americans, that this is, this is a, a new landmark in American history, that it's not just African-Americans who are advocating for themselves and say, please treat us justly, that there does seem to be a, a greater sense of obligation of people of every color to say, if people of one color are being diminished, I'm, I'm just the next one up at some stage. That if, if all are created equal, if all are loved by Christ, if everyone is made in the image of God, then not to defend and correct that is ultimately to do damage to myself somewhere down the road, or my children, or my children's children. That um, th- this is every man's battle, must be. And um, it seems to me there's a greater recognition of that in a very difficult time. You had mentioned earlier about looking out for our brothers and sisters and um, can you think of any practical application things that um, we could be looking to do uh, more than just the concept of looking out for them? What's, um, what's some actual things that we can kind of take to heart and try to focus on? Yeah, I had, I had my fancy words in the sermon. And then when Carl Cannon joined me, he had it much more straightforward. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> say, why, Carl, why didn't you come and preach this message? Um, so, you know, I was saying I, we can't, but lament, you know, we have to be willing to say this is wrong This is and, and weep for the injustices that have been done to learn. So even from my own ranks, I got um, emails over the last few days of uh, people who have not learned what others are experiencing mm-hmm. to say, well, you know, they just need to try harder. They, 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 you know, people of a different color, you know, they just need to be, uh, Stop listening to those leaders among themselves who tell them that they are disadvantaged because that just creates victims. And, you know, there's opportunity in the country for everybody. You say, no, wait a second. Wait a second. If, if it were your neighborhood and the schools that your children had to attend were uh, a, a third of the resources of every other neighborhood, if a third of your young men would end up in prison at some point in their lives. If you were 20% of the population, but were less than 0.02% of the commerce ownership of that area, would you not say that maybe it takes a little bit more than my gumption to actually be equal with other people in terms of education opportunity and advantage. And I, I, I think just a willingness to learn gets you somewhere. And then beyond the willingness to learn, to repent and to say, this is wrong. And, and if I have not labeled it as such, you know, I said to my wife yesterday, after I got the very letter, I'm just referring you to, I say, you know, I've received so much correspondence from this person through the years 
And I basically just let it go by kind of saying, <laughs> why, why do I have to respond to this person? And I said, I, after, after listening to Carl yesterday saying, if you see something, say something. So, All right, I'm going to have to write this person. I'm going to have to write this person and say, what you just wrote me, you think is Christian. You actually think it's Christian and it's racist. And I have to say that to you because if I don't say it to you, I don't know if anybody else will. And then, of course, we as a nation are going to enter into all sorts of decisions now about how are we going to police and how are we going to govern and how are we going to educate. And, and I think Christians have to say, are, are we going to hold national leaders, governmental leaders to fairness and say, if, if what we're doing is not fair, then we will not approve it. I mean, I'm thankful we're in a democratic country, but that means that we can say and we can vote for fairness and to insist upon it and not turn a blind eye. You know, the word racism, I mean, that's, or racist is obviously, it's, it's an ugly word. It, it, um, it just has such a, a terrible picture about it because it is a terrible thing. And I think because of that, as believers, it, even if you're not a believer, that's something that you don't want to acknowledge is in your own heart, you know, um, because it is, it's such a, a terrible thing, but I think it's important as as sinners that we are, there is not only likely a chance, um, it is almost a guarantee that there is some sort of views, if nothing else, that are skewed uh, because of our own experiences that, that aren't fully accurate. And to be willing to investigate your own heart, I think, is, is a huge starting point and a hard, a hard, hard thing to do. And something that I know for myself, I'm continually needing to do and am realizing ways that, that I've been skewed in my views and I didn't even know. I didn't even, I was either not informed of the facts or I had been sheltered or any number of things. Um, and I think for me, that's probably been the, the biggest key to starting to love my brothers and sisters the way that God would want me to. Um, so I appreciate you mentioning that, uh, you know, I think it is easy to let things go by in ourselves and in others. Um, and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to call people out, in, including ourselves, uh, when that does happen. Um, in my, yeah. in my own ranks, Chris, and the ranks we're in, I think very few people would identify themselves as racist or believe that it's a good thing or believe that's an acceptable thing. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that, you know, bec but where, where that often ends up is people saying, because I do not have personal animosity toward a person of color, um, I have no uh, racist um, guilt, as it were. And you have to say, you know what? I am so pleased that there is not reflexive animosity toward a person of color in, in virtually anyone that, that would worship with us. But if I would say, do we as a church, do we as individuals need to perceive the fact that young people in the community are educated in very different ways, have very different opportunities? Um, 
are treated in very different ways by not just law enforcement, by government officials, by church people, by where they go in which neighborhoods. Do we have to be concerned about that? I would say most people in my ranks have not even thought about that. It's not that they're pro for against. They hadn't even thought about it. And you have to say, all right, what's what's the better term? If if it's not racist, it's racially indifferent. It is it is it is justice blind. And that may not be the same precise sin as racism as you think of hating a person for their skin color. But but it is it is race insensitivity because it is not considering my brother or sister who will be with me in eternity as a lover of Christ, or at least someone made in the image of God. It's not considering that they need to have the benefits that I received and, and that it's, it's not fair that simply because of race or background, they do not receive the benefits that I have received just by virtue of my skin color or my neighborhood or where I live. And if I'm, I'll say it again, if I'm just willing to turn a blind eye, that's not the same racism as hating somebody because they're skin color, but it is yeah. another version of racism. It is another version of racial insensitivity to the plight of other people because of their skin color. Why do you think it is that for some people it's not even on their radar? Well, because it's not in their life experience, right? Because we live, we live in our own social bubbles. So yeah. in, in, in the neighborhoods we are in, we may live among a particular skin color of people, a particular economic bracket of people, people who are educated to a particular level or in particular schools. So uh, part of the, the fall of the world is we tend to associate in kind. So those that are most like us or those that we're most comfortable with, that's just being human. That's not necessarily racist, but it creates racist dynamics. It creates race disadvantages if we are not on guard against um, that homogeneity of community so that whoever is the majority of the community has the majority advantages. And uh, that, you know, that's, again, it's, it's different. I, if anybody calls me a racist, if I call anybody a racist, we know we're about to be in a fistfight because that's just such a bad word. And people know, do not label themselves that way. They don't want to, I mean, Granted, they're the skinheads of the world. Yes, they may love being, you know, but those are the rare persons. The average person doesn't view themselves as, as racist at all. And they, they do not have hatred toward a person of color because of their color. But they are unwilling usually to think of injustice that that person is experiencing, that the person who is not of color may never have experienced or even seen. So as we've been having this discussion um, about race and, and about ultimately unity, uh, uniting uh, in Christ, maybe now's a good time to go to the throng portion. Well, the, the beauty of this portion of Revelation is having described the song, we, we learn the rejoicing uh, groups who are rejoicing in the song. And they are thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads of angels who are participating in the song. And so you just have the sense that in this assembly, which is identified as the firstborn, 
That is, wait, wait, there should only be one firstborn, but we know there's an assembly of firstborn made by the righteousness of the lamb, his shed blood. So how big is this assembly? Well, this assembly is so large that thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads of angels are singing the song with the earthly gatherings of saints as well. And so we we have this sense. We, we sometimes in our Bible-believing circles where we feel like people persecute us for our faith. And, you know, there must be a small minority of people who are genuine, committed Christians. Nonetheless, the heavenly picture is thousands and thousands, an assembly that is joined large enough for thousands and thousands of heavenly hosts. And I don't know how big a myriad and a myriad is, but he's big. (laughs) <laughs> and and that means that you know there's, there's room for people who've struggled and have difficulty that's being prepared in heaven for those who are made right by the blood of the lamb there's there's a big assembly it's called a kingdom and uh, that kingdom we recognize is made up of those who've been made right before god right so it's a kingdom of priests that's a strange notion but it's it's a it's a great assembly where people uh will rule upon the earth. Isn't that interesting? That they not only are redeemed, but they are destined to rule. That God will use those now separated from in heaven and earth, right? But united by their prayers, mm-hmm. one day heaven and earth will be together. And that togetherness, the heavenly realities will be lived out on earth and we will rule upon the earth. And that's a beautiful thought that righteousness, those who have been made righteous, that kingdom of priests, um, image just piles on image, doesn't it? A kingdom and priests to serve the God who is the lion, who is the lamb. And they just keep piling. But in the course of biblical history, we kind of understand it, that there are those people destined for heaven, made right by the blood of the lamb. So here's this eternal kingdom. And who's it filled with? Priests. Like preachers, <laughs> you know, the good guys. Uh, and the, the good guys are, they're everybody. It's a priesthood of believers. They're all made right before God. Mm. And they're part of that great assembly. And it's not just a few people. It's a lot of people, which means our witness has been effective from heaven's perfect, uh, perspective. So we should tell friend and neighbor, live for Christ, love brother and sister. Why? because we know the last chapter where this is all going to a great assembly that we'll be a part of by virtue of the work of the lamb. Well, as we continue to move through revelation, um, what should we expect next or say for next week? Yeah. Well, this is not a series on revelation. (laughs) This is just a series on the whole of the Bible. So we have just a few messages on revelation. So, This, this is kind of the big picture, right? So Revelation 5 yeah. is, you know, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. But we're going to go to just, a, a, and what happens then? You know, well, let's, let's, just, let's just sit down for dinner with them, right? So we're going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so, all right, let's have the big picture. Let's look at the little detail. And what's it look like when these people get together in heaven? And what's that going to be like as we exist in the presence of the Lamb? And, uh, and then we'll finally say, and, and what's the final chapter? It's, it's where we are uh, told that the Lord Jesus will rule over all. And that will be the, 
the time at which things are set right and justice does roll down like a river and stays forever. And uh, so we'll talk about ultimately what it means to pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Revealing Grace. I hope that it has been a blessing to you and it has been an opportunity to grow and know the Word of God better. If you have enjoyed this episode, uh, maybe you haven't listened to previous ones, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. And also, I would encourage you to hit the subscribe button. That way you can be notified anytime a new episode is available. And those are available pretty much weekly. So uh, once again, hit the subscribe button and then you'll know and you can check that out. Also, if you have any questions for the podcast, you can send them to Revealing Grace at Brianchapel.com. And we will review any sort of comments or questions that you might have, and perhaps even address a, a question or comment or two in the next episode. If you are listening to this episode actually at Brianchapel.com, or maybe you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, head on over to Brianchapel.com. But when you're there, you can look at all the different resources that are available to you. As was mentioned at the beginning, there are sermons that you can view. Um, there are also other videos, illustrations, a lot of different resources for people in ministry or just uh, things that you can look at to help you with personal edification and in your personal walk. Um, also, if you are seeking to be able to speak boldly uh, as a pastor or a ministry leader, check out the courses section. There are some wonderful resources and seminary level uh, classes that are available there. And fairly recently, uh, it's been changed to a subscription model. So that means that there are all these courses available for a very low, reasonable monthly fee. So um, check that out. And I really hope that that can be a blessing to you. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending your time with myself and Brian. And we look forward to having you join us again for the next episode of Revealing Grace.